Welcome to Hoopsology. My name is Justin Goodrum, and along with Matt Thomas, our goal is to bring you quality basketball content from all over the hoops world. Before we jump into the show, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast to receive our latest episodes from journalists, authors, athletes from all over the basketball world. If you have a comment or question, please email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Now enjoy the show. He is an award-winning New York Times bestselling author and the writer of Carmel Anthony's memoir. We welcome Dee Watkins onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Dee? Hey, what's up? Thank you guys for having me. No problem, and thanks for coming on to the show. And we've been really looking forward to this interview because I believe you're probably the number one guy in terms of having the best insight in regards to Carmel Anthony, um, one of the most probably well-known and respected figures in terms of the NBA um, of this new era of basketball. So the first question I got for you is, um, how did you become involved with the project with Carmel Anthony? And can you kind of describe the creative process and how you got this memoir going? So I knew Carmelo, but I didn't know Carmelo. Um, I was a senior at Dunbar High School and I heard that he was coming to the school. Um, I'm about I'm about maybe three three years older than Carmelo, so he was in the school visiting one day, and um, I knew his friend Kenny Miner kind of well. Him and Kenny Miner always had a great friendship, and I we, I never met. This is when he was still a guard, so he didn't have his growth spurt yet. He was a guard, so you know we you know we were all sitting around a cafeteria table and. Um, and, you know, he's always been a funny guy, cool guy, but I never really had a personal relationship with him. You know, fast forward, this guy goes from this flashy New York point guard in Baltimore to, like, <laughs> this six seven six 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 seven phenom who has worldwide <laughs> attention. And um, he went on to be go, become a basketball star. Um, I would order live a life of crime. <laughs> so while he was on his trajectory as an athlete, I was my trajectory doing the wrong thing. And um, by the time this opportunity came about, I turned my life around and um, got into, you know, got went to college and graduate school and became a professor and done all these great things. And he had this great career and he was, he wanted to do a book. So his agent had reached out to this DC guy, Wesley Lowry. He's on 60 Minutes now. But Wesley Lowry was a young kid that was on the team that got the Pulitzer back in like 2015, 2016. Amazing reporter. And Wesley was like, called me up and was like, what do you think of this? Because I want to write this book. But I told them, if anybody's writing a memoir coming out of Baltimore, it should be you. So if you take it, I'll fall back. And I was like, yo, if you don't want it, I, I definitely I want to do it. So. Wesley called his agent up and his agent said they were interviewing like five people. And um, at the time, I think um, I had just signed with HBO to um, work on this TV show. Um, David Simon, who did The Wire, has a new HBO show. So I just signed with them. And I just wrote a New York Times article on how Baltimore saved the Air Force One. Nike was going to get rid of the Air Force One after the first year. And Baltimore, small sneaker stores had to go to Beaverton to save it. You know, so I had all this cool stuff out and they sent all that to Melo and he was like, yeah, this is the guy. And then when we actually had to sit down, he's like, you know, such and such. And I'm like, yeah, I know this person, that person. And then I think they did their homework and they saw I, I could write and then I can also had the temperament to be able to handle the project. And then from there, we just clicked and made it happen. Can you take us 
into the high school days of Carmelo in terms of how big he was back then. Like just the environment from his friends, family, just what was it like? Because, you know, compared to now, like you have athletes, they're, they're scrutinized from like the sixth grade. I mean, we're seeing them on Ball's life all the time, but back then there was no YouTube. So he kind of put us back in that time period in terms of how much hype Carmelo did get during his high school days. So Carmelo is crazy because you're right. Back then we didn't have these, you know, these kids constantly being documented by Facebook and Instagram on top of what's happening on YouTube. But what you had was your reputation. So like your name spread. Like I remember um, hearing about Carmelo, not because of what he was doing at Towson Catholic, but what he was doing on the playgrounds in Baltimore. Yo, that kid from Murphy Holmes is tearing people apart. Check in mm. with him. And if you were good, and at the time, Carmelo was one of the best, LaFonte John was one of the best, Tim Rose, who we confess, was one of the best. All these guys, they had to go to different neighborhoods to play against whoever the best people were in those neighborhoods because your reputation was everything. And if you ducked the person, then it would seem like you were running from them. And it was, none of that was allowed. So... When Carmelo was frail and he just got his height, they matched him up against Mark Culture, who was like um, a blue chip athlete at the time. And Mark had his way with Melo because he was bigger and stronger. I don't know if you guys remember Mark Culture from Temple, but um, he was a star mm -hmm. at Temple in the 90s. And he was this big guy at Temple, and Melo was this kid who just got his height, you know, learning how to, how to move around, being that tall. And Mark had his way with him. And then when Melo, you know, got used to being tall, he came back a year later, tore Mark apart in front of everybody. And this is when Mark was on his way to um, when they used to do NBA Summer League. He was on his way to Summer League. And when Summer League first came out, he was on his way to Summer League. And all people could talk about was what Melo did to him. So at that particular time, your name was everything. Carmelo had a name. He was respected as a guy from the neighborhood and respected as a guy on the court. And you, you had to have that, and, and, and he did. was curious um what brought carmelo anthony to baltimore specifically was it a specific like school situation like a lot of athletes especially nowadays will will travel to a specific school was it just simply a, a family move what brought him from new york to baltimore so I, I definitely i definitely want your listeners to read the book but what i will tell you is that for sure yeah don't older, spoil <laughs> his, older brother, his older brother got into some trouble and his stepfather was just sick of trying to make it in New York. And his mom kind of felt the same way. And they were both from the South. So they were from South Carolina. They wanted to go to South Carolina. But his mom, Miss Mary, wanted to be close to her son in New York. Both of her sons, they had a lot going on. They had family in Baltimore. So it was kind of like a happy compromise. Nobody thought Carmelo was going to be this big time ball player. Nobody made decisions or moves based around his talent. Did he have mm. talent? Yes. But a lot of kids have talent. A lot of kids have talent. A lot of kids don't go nowhere. Baltimore is a very different city. In Baltimore, drug dealers and street guys tend to be more respected than athletes and raptors, rappers. Mm. Kids don't grow up wanting to rap. Kids didn't grow. And I'm, I'm, talking, I'm, I'm talking about kids born in the 80s like us and raised in the 90s. We didn't grow up looking up the rappers. We didn't grow up looking up the ball players. 
we grew up looking to the guys who were outside because they were living the lives that we wanted to live. They were admired. Mm. The girls liked them. They had the clothes, the sneakers, the cars, and they always had like a good story. You can't believe what happened last night was like how every morning started. So even though Melo never got tied up in the street stuff or anything like that, nobody was like thinking like, yo, this guy is going to be a lottery pick. This guy is going to take his team to the championship. This guy is going to change the dynamic of how his position is viewed for years to come. Nobody thought that. People just thought that, you know, um, he was just a happy kid who loved sports. His mom got to be close to um, – and his mom actually eventually wanted to move um, back to New York. But Carmelo made the case to stay in Baltimore because he made friends, because he started playing sports in all these different teams, because he got to know his neighborhood, because he felt comfortable. So he, he kind of made the case to stay in Baltimore, and it ended up staying. And his mom actually, she still has a place here. So, you know, this city is like, if you guys, you know, come here and hang out for like a couple of weeks, you might get stuck. You might be filming your podcast from Fayette Street or something. You guys would be stuck in Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted to ask, was there any particular like personality trait about Mello, something special about Mello? I mean, obviously to have the success as a baller that he's had, you know, there's there's a lot that's special about him and obviously talent being at the forefront. But is is there anything that you saw, you know, about him being in school with him and working with him on this memoir? Was there anything that helped him kind of break that mold in, in Baltimore and, and focus on basketball? He's a phenomenal storyteller and he gets satire. Like he gets the irony of things, um, mm. some things that make people crumble and then make people fall apart, he knows how to laugh his way through tough situations. And mm. that is that is a skill, the skill, the main skill that has allowed him to survive so long. A lot of people get faced with adversity or tough situations and they just fold. He knows how to take the good with the bad, you know, laugh when it's time to laugh and then step away and, and, and find peace when it's time to do that. And it's been successful for him. Interesting. You know, he is an athlete like over the past, I would say like especially five or six years who has come under a lot of criticism from the media. I mean, when you're in the public spotlight, that tends to happen. Is that something that you would guess he's able to do as well? Like laugh off, you know, the Skip Bayless or, you know, to throw out a cliche example. Is is that something that you think Mello also applies in those types of situations as a public figure? I think the proof is in the pudding, you know, look how he responded. Look at how he responded. You know, he was frustrated for not being in the, in the league when he should have been in the league, mm. got on the team, became one of the most beloved players and um, made the fans happy and educated his teammates from his years of experience. And he, he fit right in, which is why it's going to be so easy for him to make the transition to the Lakers. Like, you know, some people who have had that big superstar status, it's difficult for them to assume different positions on the court. And he cares about winning and supporting his teammates at the core. So I, I think, um, you know, I, I think the proof is, 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 is in that. D, can you kind of go over the dynamic of Carmelo and LeBron? They seem to be just tied together. 
ever since they both came into the league. Just hook, line, and sinker. I, I was watching a video yes yesterday of them. I think their first matchup on ESPN. It looks so young. I mean, it is. They look like kids. I mean, I guess they were kids at the time, and it just seemed to be linked throughout their entire career. I guess I want to ask you, you know, LeBron rose to his prominence in terms of being the face of the league and, you know, all the the accolades that come with it. Was there any kind of resentment or any kind of feelings that he felt in terms of how LeBron's career went compared to his? I know they're, they're teammates now and they have a great relationship, but also Melo has, you know, he has a massive ego in terms of his, you know, prowess on the basketball court. That's what made him who he is now. So in talking to him, do you think he has any of those kind of, I don't know, not jealous feelings of just a little bit of feelings of envy or just, I don't know, that competitive spirit that he had with LeBron? So the conversations that we've had, especially in making this book, has always been admiration and love. Like, it's always been love. He's a very grounded person. Now, you're talking about on the court. You better have an attitude. You better have an attitude, and you better be able to go against anybody. You know, um, AI said, I love – I had Michael Jordan's pictures hanging up. Like, I love Michael Jordan more than anything, but on the court, I don't care about Michael Jordan. And people took offense to that, and I'm like (laughs) – you should not, you know, imagine the great Kobe Bryant praising people as they ran up and down the court. On the court, it should be, it should, it should be blessed for hunger games. Yeah. Like that's it. So I think um if you're talking talent and skill set, yeah. then 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 you should be extremely confident in what you can do at that level. If not, you don't belong in the league. But when it comes to off the court or LeBron or the success that LeBron has had. I've I've only heard Melo, and I got long interview tapes that we have as we work on this, and I've never heard him say nothing but like, yo, you know, Braun is that guy. He's a great guy. He's, you know, on the court, off the court, work ethic, skill set, and it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that, I think a lot of times mainstream media don't really, they don't play that up enough. Um, Mm. If you look at interviews where Melo has talked about LeBron in the past, um, you'll see, like it's it's all it, it has always been nothing but a bunch of love, and you know I think about I think about sometimes that dynamic, um, and, and and how the NBA was because Carmelo was supposed to be in Detroit on that championship yeah. team. He was supposed to be in that team. Larry Brown looked him in the eyes and told him he was taking him. He looked him in his eyes, shook his hand. Oh. We're taking you with number two. Wow. And him and LeBron was talking about, wow, you're going to be in Cleveland. I'm going to be in Detroit. You know, we're going to get together and do this, do that, work out together. Like, these are conversations that he had. And then only to get to, to be on, on the wrong side of, of league politics, but was happy when he got to Denver and loved playing in Denver and loved the fans. So I think um, um, I think that all of us should be should be proud that two people who are that competitive and that talented, and I've, I've never met LeBron, but the conversations I've had with Carmelo, like, and from what I see, what LeBron says about Melo has always been like, you know, you, you're, you're a tough check. I'm a tough check. And, and, and we both know that. And that's, that's what makes it beautiful. Do you, do you get the sense just, you know, consuming the media that, that we all look at from time to time, just as fans of the sports um, in general, and particularly basketball, of course, it is Carmelo more understood or misunderstood by mainstream media? 
I think he's misunderstood. I think he's misunderstood because people don't understand where he come from. And I hope this book helps them. So a lot of these ball players, like I saw an interview with this guard, Devin Harris, a while back. And uh, remember Devin Harris? Devin Harris used to play for Dallas. I think he played for the Nets. Yeah. Devin yeah. Harris said, Devin Harris said at, at, as young as five or six years old, he wasn't allowed to play outside on concrete. So, like, somebody saw something in him that young. In Baltimore, mm-hmm. you got to survive the streets before you can even make it onto the court. Mm-hmm. It don't Like, John Crowder, look up John Crowder, who was headed to Kansas. He was already, like, 6'10", dunking on everything, everything. That's all he wanted to do. And somebody murdered him because they were jealous of him. He couldn't make it to the gym to live out his dreams. And 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 take take you know take his destiny into his own hands and create something special for him and his family because somebody was jealous of his talent. That is where we come from, and that is not a strange story. The best athletes get cracked across the head here. Um, it's it's a tough city, and nice. I think when you understand that that's what he had to climb out of just to get where he is, then you'll you'll say, oh, okay, well. He has to have that exterior because this is that's where he's from. Um, Sam Cassell yeah. is in a different way, but Sam is tough. It's no way Sam was supposed to do what he did in the NBA with his athletic ability. Look mm-hmm. at Sam's body type. Yeah. Look how he's built. Look how he moved. But oh, it's wow. all grit. It's all intellect. It's all survival. It's all he's going to do the things that other people are just not going to do. And that's why he is who he is. Baltimore creates that. Like when you're from certain sections of the city, you get a resiliency that you know that is so strong. You know, it's it's a, a city that can eat you still, and that's that's what these guys have. Mm. D, I wanted to ask, what is something that you learned from Carmelo that surprised you or shocked you, positively or negatively? That came across and that you put in the book or you're like oh my gosh i had no idea that some that this was you know this happened in carmel anthony's life did anything surprise you or shock you when talking to him that's a great question um what shocked me was he really 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 um loves to get back he loves to get back to communities he loved he's you know he's active in his own right fought for issues that he cared about, things that he doesn't really allow cameras to come around. And what shocked me was, because you guys knew that, but what shocked me was his dad was an activist and his dad was on the ground. His dad was protesting. His dad was fighting for Latino Mm -hmm. rights. And he never really met his dad. His dad died when he was two. So his Mm -hmm. biological father was this activist fighting to make the world better. And he didn't even have these stories or know these things. And he actually does the same thing. So it's crazy how these things are kind of just embedded in your DNA. Dad, a social justice advocate, cared about change. And now you're doing the same thing and you didn't even know. Um, on that note, I wanted to ask you in talking, in talking to him, you know, last year, 2020, just a, a crazy year, but a a critical time point was, you know, the that brief period of that NBA boycott. And I just want to get your thoughts on how Carmelo felt about that entire situation because there was some turmoil in regards to how the players are going to handle that particular situation as compared to their 
WNBA counterparts that seem to be more of a unified front, whereas with the NBA, there seemed to be some conflict in regards to what to do. Do you have any insight in regards to how Carmel Anthony felt about that situation? Uh, we didn't really talk about, like, what was happening currently in the NBA. We were just, like, telling, like, old stories just about the city, you know, about um, how he came up and, 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 and what he had to go through and things like that. It's kind of where we kept the vibe at. So we didn't really talk about league politics. I think um, I think he's been in the NBA for so long that that probably wasn't even, like, the most interesting part of his conversation in regards of talking to a guy like me. you talking to a guy like me, then you get to relive all of the old school stuff from the neighborhood that you don't really get a chance to talk to or build on. So we kind of stayed, we kind of stayed in that, in that, uh, in that lane. That was pretty cool. D, I wanted to ask more broadly, you have, um, you know, on, on your Twitter feed, some, some great tweets about criticism and like what to listen to, what not to listen to. And you have, of course, this unique perspective in spending time with Carmelo Anthony. I, I wanted to ask just more broadly, just in, in like modern day media and sports media in general. I mean, obviously like when we're having arguments about like, is Michael Jordan the goat or is LeBron James, you know, it's, it's kind of small peanuts in the big picture of life. Right. Um, and along those same lines, you know, we, we throw criticism at athletes too on, on podcasts, on, you know, ESPN, you name it, whatever they're, they're generating content through that. What do you think as, as someone who has, you know, this big picture of Carmelo Anthony and, and where he came from, and not just specifically with him, but when we're looking at athletes and public figures in general, what do you think is fair in terms of criticism? And I mean, other than the obvious of like going too personal with things or things like that, you know, what is kind of unwarranted criticism? Where do we kind of draw that line in 2021? I think a lot of times we, we act like athletes aren't people. Um, I think that we're living in a world where we're living in a dangerous world where everybody with a social media account has an opinion that is valid. <laughs> to be heard. Like, you know, even if you got like one follower, your tweets matter. And, <laughs> you know, I think I think a lot of times um, we put a lot of pressure on, on on public figures that don't really understand that they're people, too. Sometimes they cry. Sometimes they have bad days. Sometimes they're depressed. Like we just like we look at them as and when I say we, I'm not talking about us as a group, I'm talking about society in general. Right. We kind of look at them as these people who entertain us and act like that they don't that the cameras never really go off. And they actually do go off. And these are people with feelings and people who are hurt by things that other people say. And we kind of don't realize that. Um sometimes the commentators, in my opinion, take it too far. Like you just hmm. taking it too far. Like, you know, and and, you know, one of the people who has, has been on the wrong side of that, and we, we saw him lashing out over the past couple of months, is Kwame Brown. It's like mm. nobody ever talked about the other side of what happened to him being 18, 19 years old and expected to save a franchise and having the person who is, you know, considered the best person to ever touch a basketball really, really, really apply pressure in a way that he wasn't ready to handle. And, you know, it's no knock on Mike, no knock on Kwame, but, like, it's just perspective 
that had, would have been silenced and let the creation of social media came. If we never got social media, then we never would have knew. He, you know, he was a joke to a lot of people for so many years. And then when he started speaking out, a lot of people's feelings were hurt. But it's like, how do you think he felt? And, mm-hmm. you know, because, yeah, these people have these amazing lives and this amazing talent and they do these amazing things. But just because they do amazing things doesn't mean that they're, that they're not people. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Look at the recent documentary with Malice in the Palace in terms of Jermaine O'Neal. I mean, he was labeled as, you know, as an inhuman, as a thug, run our test, Stephen Jackson, less than human. You don't really understand his perspective, how Jermaine O'Neal's career in particular was effective. And honestly, with that documentary, you don't really see his success after basketball. He's one of the most successful players, I, I believe, in NBA history in terms of his off-the-field, off-the-court endeavors. That's not a sexy story. Yeah. The good story isn't the successful guy who becomes successful. The story is the guy who, like, smokes crack and drives his 1993 Bentley into, like, a Best Buy showroom. (laughs) That's that's the story. So, you know, um, thank you for bringing you guys for bringing that story, that part of the story to light because we we have to tell the whole story. It's It's not just one piece. We get, you know... We get a snapshot of the lives of some of these people, and then we make our judgments based on that. And if somebody got a snapshot of my life or or your life, Matt, or your life, Justin, I'm pretty sure you guys have some great days, and I'm pretty sure you guys have some days that you were like, oh, man, I'm such an asshole. To that guy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's being human. Yeah, being human. <laughs> I don't even know if they still make friendly, but I know. I <laughs> sponsor. So I'm like, um, sometimes I try to think about that before I pass judgment myself because I feel a way about certain things too. And I say, wait a second, well, this is, you know, nobody's just one thing. Like we're all complex, we're all multidimensional and we we deserve that. Um, Another question for you and I'll pass it to Matt if he has any more questions. Um, With Mello, does he care about his legacy at all? Or is that something for like people on social media, journalists? Is that something super important to him? Like in terms of when he finally hangs it up? I mean, one of his good friends, Chris Bosch, was inducted in the Hall of Fame recently. Um, he was with there with, with LeBron. Is that something when his playing days are over that he takes really seriously? Or, you know, he's just kind of he's, he's having fun and really enjoying his time currently, you know, at the end of his career. You know, I can't speak for him, but my, in my opinion, I would say I think he does care. And I think he works really hard. And, like, I'm not trying to give a political answer. Like, sure. I really, really, I really think he, I think, I think he cares about his basketball legacy. But I also know that he believes that he cares about his legacy as a successful person. He's pulled up so many people and given so many people opportunities. And I think that's a part of his legacy, too. And when he is inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, I I believe as one of the top scorers in NBA history, he will be. But I think that part of that conversation is going to talk about the people, you know, when, when we say lift as you climb, he don't, he didn't just say it. He actually lived that life. He lifted people up as he achieved success. And that is more important than anything that ever happened on any court because so many people just don't. They have the money and the skills. I mean, the money and the opportunity. And they just be like, oh man, I grew up in this neighborhood. Let me just drive past it in my Rolls Royce and show you how poor I was. Wait, there's poor people. Let me drive around them. And, you know, like, Mm -hmm. he's the guy that's going to make sure 
that made sure those young people were able to make money and take care of their families. And that's the part of the story that we should be talking about. Mm. Great note to end on, D. Really appreciate you joining the show. Uh, please plug to our listeners and viewers where they can find you, where they can follow you, and what things you're working on the rest of the year. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So I'm on all social media at D. Watkins World. I'm working on this HBO show, We Own the City. It's going to be the best miniseries on television next year. Get ready. Awesome. HBO, the Slow Hustle is coming out. And then Black Boy Smile, a memoir of masculinity, is dropping in April. Where tomorrow's our promise drops tomorrow. Uh, today is 9 13. It comes out September 14th. Please pull up. Thank you guys for the support and love. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, catching up on the Hoopsology podcast. I, I want to see what you know. I want to check it out. Like, I, I know it's love. Appreciate it, Dee. Thanks for the chat. Really appreciate your insight. No doubt. You guys have a blessed one. You too. Appreciate you it. Too. Peace.